Well, this morning I'll be preaching on our lesson from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 uh, through 56. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, and we'll be beginning at verse 30. Uh, But before we come to God's Word, it's important that we ask for God's help, because God delights to help His people read the Word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us as we come to your word this morning. I pray that you would focus us on the word. I pray that you would open our hearts so that we can receive this word with joy and with gladness. I pray that you would help us to receive this word to our great comfort and to our great strengthening. And Holy Spirit, as we come to this word, I pray that you would help us to get a deeper sense of who the Lord Jesus is and what he's capable of doing. And I pray that as we understand him more and more, we'll love him more and more and find ourselves more and more loyal to him. I pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, some of you may have heard of the famous uh, preacher, John Wesley. He was an English Christian who lived from 1703 to... 1791. And when he was a young man, Wesley felt called by God to be a missionary in what were then called the 13 colonies. We now call this area the Eastern United States. Uh, More specifically, Wesley felt called to travel to the 13 colonies and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ there because he wanted to be a missionary uh, to the Native Americans who lived in that area. He wanted to preach the gospel to a group of people who had never heard the gospel before. And so because of this calling, Wesley boarded a ship in the year 1736, and he made his way by sea uh, to the 13 colonies. And while Wesley was on this ship, he noticed that he was accompanied by a group of German Christians called Moravians. And as the days went by, Wesley became more and more impressed by the character of these Moravian Christians. They were always willing to do the worst jobs, and they never expected any pay. They were always willing to serve others, and they expected nothing in return. John Wesley wrote in his diary, if they were pushed, struck, or thrown down, they rose again and went away, but no complaint was found in their mouth. Suffice to say, Wesley was very impressed by this group of Christians. He saw that they were constant and eager servants of their fellow human beings. Well, on Sunday, January 25th, 1736, the Moravians were worshiping on the Lord's Day, and they were worshiping on the ship. They were singing, they were reading the Bible together, and they were praying, but they were doing it all in the midst of a brutal winter storm. The wind was whipping about, the sea was raging, and the boat was being tossed to and fro. And then all of a sudden, a great wave crashed over the side of the boat and it covered the boat with water and water spilt down between the decks and it shredded the mainsail into tatters and pieces. And all the Englishmen on the boat began to shriek and they began to cry. They were worried for their safety. They were worried for their lives. But this group of Moravian Christians continued to sing. They continued to sing their song. They seemed totally unfazed by the danger of the storm. And so Wesley recorded this in his diary. 
I asked of them afterwards, Was you not afraid? And he answered, I thank God, no. I asked, But were not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, No, our women and children are not afraid to die. Wesley would go on to have frequent interactions with these Moravian Christians, and as he got to know them better and better, he became more and more convinced and more and more impressed by their lifestyle, by their seriousness, their sincerity, and the power of their Christian faith. And Wesley recorded later in his life, they were always employed, always cheerful themselves, and in good humor with one another. They had put away all anger and strife and wrath and bitterness and clamor and evil speaking. They walked worthy of the vocation wherewith they were called and adorned the gospel of our Lord in all things. And so the question is, why am I telling you this story this morning? Well, I'm telling you this story this morning because it gives us a beautiful picture of courage. A courage which was inspired by and sustained by a trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Moravian Christians were, after all, remarkably courageous. They were not afraid of death. They were not afraid of the ocean. They were not afraid of drowning. And in the midst of the raging storm, they simply continued on with their psalm, singing their praises to the Lord. They were anchored, as it were, by their total reliance upon the Lord Jesus And so I've told you this story because courage is something which is called for in the text that we're looking at this morning. Look with me at verses 47 to 52. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on land. That's Jesus. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Look at that command that the Lord Jesus gives in verse 50 of our text. The Lord Jesus says, Take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. In this verse, the Lord Jesus is commanding his disciples to be courageous. The phrase, take heart, is a translation of the Greek word, tharsite, which is based on the Greek verb, tharseo, which means to be of good courage, to be of good cheer, or to be emboldened. When Jesus said to his disciples, tharsite, he was commanding them to be courageous. Or you could use another word and say that he was encouraging his disciples. He was filling them with courage. He was inspiring them to be courageous. And he did this by reminding them that he himself was there with them. He said, take heart, it is I. And so by focusing the disciples on himself, Jesus is showing his disciples that everything is okay. But look at how the disciples react to the encouragement that Jesus is giving them. Look at how the disciples react to Jesus' words. Look at verse 51 and 52. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. These couple of verses are communicating to us that the disciples at this point in their journey with Jesus had not quite understood the full truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and who he was. 
At this point in their ministry, the disciples had not fully reckoned with the nature or the ability of the man that they were following. We're told that they were utterly astounded. We're told that they had failed to properly interpret what had just happened when Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes. And we're told that their hearts were hardened against the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples weren't quite getting it. They weren't quite wrapping their minds around who the Lord Jesus was at this point in their ministry. But it's also clear that if the disciples had fully understood who Jesus was, if the disciples had fully reckoned with the nature and ability of the Lord Jesus Christ, then they would not have been afraid. The knowledge of who Jesus was and what he was able to do would have filled their hearts with courage and it would have cast away the fear that was in their hearts. If the disciples had wrapped their minds around who Jesus was, like those Moravian Christians had wrapped their minds around who Jesus was, they wouldn't have been worried. They wouldn't have been astonished. Fear would have been cast away, and they would have found themselves courageous. And so as we consider this passage of the Bible this morning, I want us to ask ourselves this question. What is it about the Lord Jesus that casts away fear and fills us with courage? I'll ask that question again because I really want us to think about the answer together. What is it about the Lord Jesus that casts away fear and fills us with courage? To begin to answer this question, I want to point out that at this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus had proven himself to be more powerful than the historic enemies of humanity. Jesus had proven himself to be more powerful. He had proven himself to be dominant over the historic enemies of humanity. Think of all those common things which we people uh, have had to deal with throughout our long history. Think of those things which have caused us difficulty and strife. Think of those things which have caused us misery throughout our history. Things like sickness, temptation, the devil, natural disaster, poverty, hunger, and death. These terrible things are littered throughout our history, and these terrible things continue to afflict humanity nowadays. Just think of the news cycle. The news cycle is just filled with these things, right? Sickness, natural disaster, poverty, hunger, death. Well, systematically, in just these first six chapters of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has shown that he is able to deal effectively with those great evils, with those great problems to which humanity has always been vulnerable. In chapter 1, we saw that Jesus could overcome temptation, demon possession, and physical illnesses like fever and leprosy. In chapter 2, we saw that Jesus could overcome paralysis. In chapter 3, Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. In chapter 4, he calmed the raging storm, showing his power over the elements of the world. In chapter 5, Jesus proves himself more capable than a whole legion of demons. He shows in the life of a woman that where doctors had failed for 12 years, he could heal in just a moment. And Jesus shows us in the life of a young girl that he had power over life and death. And now as we come to the end of chapter 6, we see that Jesus can easily solve the problem of food scarcity. In verses 30 through 44, we see that Jesus could take five loaves of bread and two fish and multiply them such that they fed 5,000 people. And the text of scripture actually says 5,000 men. 
And so some commentators think that there might have been even more women and children along with these men. And I might also point out that the Lord Jesus did not only feed these some 5,000 people, but he fed them to the point of contented satisfaction. And so we see that little by little, one by one, Jesus is proving that he can conquer the historic enemies of humanity. In verse 52 of our text, we're told that part of the reason why the disciples failed to have courage was because they did not understand the loaves, which is to say they did not fully understand what Jesus' multiplication of the loaves and fish really meant. If the disciples had been able to do some basic addition work, if they had been able to sort of add up one thing after another, they would have realized that Jesus had consistently displayed that he was incredibly and undeniably powerful. And the basic message of the feeding of the 5,000 would have come true. They would have seen the basic truth of what Jesus was doing. And they would have concluded that Jesus is able to miraculously and adequately provide for his people in the midst of their great need. When Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish, he showed that he was unlimited by things like scarcity, drought, lack, famine, and hunger. Though the disciples had not reckoned with it at this point, Jesus had proved and was proving himself to be, you might know this title for God, Jehovah Jireh, which means the God who provides, or the God who is able to provide. In the book of Exodus, we read about God leading the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 long years. And as God led his people through the wilderness, we are told that God constantly provided them with food. He provided them with what was called manna from heaven, and he provided them with quail. This was all more than they needed to survive and thrive. And so once again in this story, Jesus, when he's feeding the 5,000, we see that it's God again providing his people with food in the wilderness. Right? We see God using his power to provide for his people. And so we can ask our key question again, what is it about the Lord Jesus that casts away fear and fills us with courage? Well, part of it is that Jesus is powerful over the fearful things of life. The hosts of hell quiver in terror when they come before the Lord Jesus. The winds and waves are calmed at the sound of his voice. When Jesus is around, the words of Isaiah 35 are fulfilled. Right? The eyes of the blind are opened. The ears of the deaf are unstopped. Are unstopped. The lame man leaps like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sings for joy. Waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand becomes a pool, and the thirsty ground springs with water. And in the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass becomes reeds and rushes. As we follow the Lord Jesus along through the gospel story, we're learning that he's the great physician, the great deliverer, the great provider, the great teacher and so on. Jesus casts away fear and fills us with courage because he is that great conquering hero who takes on the great enemies of humanity and proves himself victorious over them. You know, one of the great privileges of my being a gospel minister is that I get to sit at the bedsides of people who are dying. Death is an awful thing, but the moments that lead up to death are very sacred and they're very important. And one of the most beautiful things that I've witnessed in this life is little old ladies, weak and decrepit, laughing in the face of death, 
because they know that the Lord Jesus has overcome death. They know that the Lord Jesus is more powerful than death. And often these little old ladies have had to pastor me because they're less afraid of death than I am. Right? They're able to simply laugh and rejoice in the faith of or in the face of what the Bible calls our last enemy. It's Jesus that makes these dear old saints brave, and it's Jesus that casts fear out of their hearts. And so often as I've sat with these dear saints, I've thought of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. These dear saints showed me that one of the great gifts of the Christian life is that we get to live our lives free from fear. This is not to say that we become, you know, sort of instantaneously fearless as soon as we trust in the Lord. But it is to say that as we come to know the Lord Jesus more and more, as we get a deeper and a deeper sense of who he is, we'll find that we have fewer and fewer reasons to be afraid. We'll find that those things which have historically frightened us no longer have the power to frighten us. The Christian devotional writer Oswald Chambers once wrote, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Now the fear of God is not a tormented or a miserable fear. The fear of God is an awestruck and an enjoyable fear. So I could paraphrase Oswald Chambers and simply say, when you live your life aware of the Lord and all that he can do for you, you'll find that there's no reason to be afraid anymore. So when the Lord Jesus said to the disciples in the midst of the storm, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, he's encouraging his disciples to remember who he is. And he's giving them courage by assuring them that he is with them, right? This great figure who's powerful over all of these threats is with them. So let's keep answering our question. What is it about the Lord Jesus that casts away fear and fills us with courage? Well, we've seen that Jesus is Lord and Master over the great enemies of humanity. But as we look at our text, I also want to point out that the Lord Jesus' character gives us courage. Throughout the Gospel of Mark and in this little passage of Scripture, we see that the Lord Jesus is kind, compassionate, loving, caring, and selfless. And so the Lord's character, not just the Lord's ability, not just the Lord's actions, but the Lord's character is something which casts away fear and fills us with courage. At the beginning of our text, we see that the Lord Jesus was eager to give his disciples a break from their work. They had been walking around the region of Galilee for quite some time, and so he suggested that they go off to a quiet place, to a desolate place, and they have a little bit of a rest. It's not a very fancy vacation, but the Lord Jesus urged them to go and spend some quiet time by by themselves with him so that they could find some rest. But then we also see that when Jesus was presented with the great need of the crowd, he had compassion on them. And even though he himself would have also been extremely tired, the Lord Jesus taught them and the Lord Jesus fed them. We then see that the Lord Jesus went to his disciples on the sea in the midst of their distress. And then in the concluding verses of our text, verse 33 to 36, 
we get a summary of Jesus's continued ministry in that area. And we see that the, G- the Lord Jesus continued to lovingly serve those who were in need. The Lord Jesus was, you could say, completely dauntless in his loving service of others. What emerges from a closer look at Jesus's character is the realization that the Lord Jesus is undeniably for humanity. Jesus loves human beings, and he's determined to use his power to bless them and to encourage them. And so you could say that Jesus is the great humanitarian, right? You could say that he's the great altruist. He's the great philanthropist. I like that word philanthropist because the word simply means a lover of people, right? The word philanthropist is based on the Greek word philo, which means love, and the Greek word anthropos, which means men or people. And so I think it's appropriate to call Jesus the great philanthropist, right? Because he's this great lover of people. You can imagine the sort of questions that the great crowd of people might have asked themselves once they had followed the Lord Jesus out into the wilderness. They were probably far away from home. They were probably far away from help. They were certainly far away from resources. And it's clear that they were remarkably hungry. And so in some sense, these people, because they have followed the Lord Jesus out into the wilderness, have found themselves in something of a sticky situation. But the Lord Jesus looks upon them with compassion. He saw them like a shepherd, sees sheep, and he was moved within himself to take care of them. And so out in the vastness of the Galilean desert, those thousands of people learned meal by meal that the Lord Jesus loved them, right? that the Lord Jesus was worthy of their trust, and that when push came to shove, he would provide for them. As so we ask our question again, what is it about the Lord Jesus that casts away fear and fills us with courage? Well, the answer is simple but powerful. It's his strength and his love. It is the strength and love of Jesus which casts away fear and fills us with courage. This is what the disciples failed to recognize when they were floundering out at sea. They didn't remember the strength and love of Jesus. They forgot the message of the loaves, which was that Jesus could provide and Jesus wanted to provide. You can imagine a remarkably loving king who is nevertheless weak. You would be encouraged by his love, but on the other hand, you would also know that he was too weak to do anything, right? And so you wouldn't ask him for help. And then you can also imagine a king who is remarkably strong, but not loving at all. Right? You would know that he's able to help you, but you would doubt that he would help you. And so the perfect king, the true leader, would be someone who is both strong and loving. Right? Someone who is both able and willing. Someone who is able to help and someone who wants to help. And so the Gospel of Mark is showing us that Jesus is just that king. And Jesus is just that leader. The one who is strong and loving. The one who wants to help and the one who can help. The purpose of Mark's gospel, and indeed the purpose of the whole Bible, is to build your confidence and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my hope for you, my prayer for you, is that as you come to know the Lord Jesus, you will acquire an instinctive reliance upon him. I pray that these two great truths would loom larger and larger in your hearts and in your minds. I pray that you would come to understand at a a fundamental and foundational level that Jesus is strong, and that Jesus is loving. And I pray that as these two great truths, as these two great realities loom larger and larger in your hearts, that they'll cast away fear, and that you'll 
and that these realities will fill you with great courage. The Gospels teach us that Jesus is leading us through life. He's leading us through the twists and the turns of life. He's leading us through the trials and tribulations of life. He's invited us on a journey. He's invited us to follow him. But the Christian life is not always easy. And so the Christian life requires courage. right? And sometimes people try to scare you out of living the Christian life. And so the Christian life requires courage. But the thing is, the Gospels teach us that courage doesn't come from looking at ourselves. Courage doesn't come from looking within. But courage comes from looking to the Lord Jesus and recognizing how strong he is. You can imagine being a soldier in an army, and you don't feel altogether capable, but you know that your captain is capable. And you know that if you follow him, he will take care of you and he will keep you safe. I'll finish by sharing... Uh, this lovely quote from the old Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McChain. He said, for every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. The more we look at ourselves, the more we'll be reminded how weak we are, how feeble we are, and how unable we are to face the dangerous things of life. But the more we look at Christ, the more we look at him, we'll find that fear is cast away and that our hearts are filled with courage because of who he is and what he's able to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are Lord and that you reign at the right hand of God in heaven. And Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you have power and authority over all of us, over the whole creation. And so we confess the fact that you're strong and that you're mighty, that you're almighty. But Jesus, we also recognize that you're loving, more loving than any other human being could ever be. And so we rest also on that. And we simply pray, Lord Jesus, that by your spirit, you would cause these two great truths to go deep within our souls, that we would live our lives Uh, relying on the fact that you, Lord Jesus, are strong and that you, Lord Jesus, are loving. And we pray that our hearts uh, would be filled with courage and that fear would be cast away and that we would be able to take heart, to be of good cheer as we follow you in the world. We pray these things in your name. Amen.